Okay, guys, so we're going to be looking at Lesson 30. So we've got two prophets left, okay? And uh, this is the biggest of the two, and that's Zechariah. And uh, you probably have heard his name before. And we'll talk about that in, in a little bit here. Uh, it, it's the most unusual book in the Old Testament. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. So this is a post-exilic prophet. So what that means is, is we're in the Medo-Persian Empire, okay? So this is the period of time when the Medo-Persians are ruling the world, the known world at the time, and uh, their empire, and of course we know that their empire would later fall to Alexander the Great. But uh, so Zechariah is a post-exilic prophet. We've got one more prophet after that, and that's Malachi, and uh, he, as well, is a post-exilic prophet. So, as far as the history of it, we, we know what's going on. This is after they returned from Babylon. You know, they did 70 years in Babylon. The decree of Cyrus allowed them, and Darius allowed them to come back and reestablish the, what would become the province of Judah, a, a Medo-Persian province now, not their own nation, but a province, and they would be there trying to reestablish Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. Later, Nehemiah will come as the governor, and they will rebuild the walls and so forth. So this is around the same time period. He is a prophet during this time period. So let's, let's talk about who he is, okay? So the name Zechariah means whom Jehovah remembers, okay? Whom Jehovah remembers. That's what his name means, okay? Um, the other thing about it is, is Zechariah was a popular name among the Hebrews at the time. So what's a popular name right now for, for naming kids? What are, what are popular names right now? Not the unusual. Think about your generation. What were popular names? John, that's a very popular name. What else? Fred, Bruce, did you know what I'm saying? Those... Bruce is saying it's not popular. Well, no, I've known people whose name were Bruce. You know what I'm saying? You know, what other names? There are names that a lot of people would have been chosen from, from the generation that we come from that were uh, popular names. Bob, Rob, you know what I'm saying? Things like that. Dick, okay? Those were all popular names. Zachariah is the same thing. Zachariah is a very popular name among the Hebrew people. How popular? Well, there are at least 27 men bearing that name, bearing the name that are mentioned in the Old Testament. So when you come across Zechariah's name in the Old Testament of other readings, don't think it's the prophet. Okay? Yes, Mike. Wasn't Jesus a very popular name? Jesus was also a very popular name at the, at the time that Jesus... Uh, was walking the earth. Yes, very popular name. Uh, and of course, that would change later because of the prominence of that Jesus. But there were other Jesuses at that time. So yes, there are certain names, certain Hebrew names that would be uh, very much very popular. Okay? Very popular. And an interesting thing is, if you noticed a lot of the names that we've looked at so far of the men, there, there's a component to their name that makes reference to God. Like, okay, when we looked here at Zechariah, his name means Jehovah remembers. 
Okay? Some of the others, like Elijah, means the Lord is God. That's what Elijah means. Okay? Some of the other prophets we've looked at, they all had a component where part of the name refers to God. But that's just the nature of the people and the names they chose. Okay? I can tell you right now, when, when they chose my name, it wasn't because my family were farmers. George means farmer, okay? I don't know if you knew that. It does. It means tiller of the soil, okay? Uh, but I'm not a tiller of the soil, nor do I care to till the soil, and my dad wasn't a tiller of the soil. And the only reason I got named George is because his name was George. I'm a junior, Okay? So just letting you know. So that's how we pick our names. There they're a little bit different in why or how they pick their names. Now, what we know about the prophet is very little. So the home of the prophet Zechariah is unknown as he was born in Babylon. So where exactly does his family come from? We don't know. We know a few other things about him, but we don't know exactly except that he was born in Babylon and he's part of the returnees those who came back out of exile. So we're not sure exactly where he's from. We do know that because he's, well, he is a priestly from the priestly line. So that means he's from the tribe of Levi, okay? So although the context of the book points to Jerusalem, when you look at the context of the book, it's very obvious that his home is Jerusalem, okay? So, uh the prophet identifies himself as the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu. Okay? Interesting names, okay? So, but some of the texts will tell you that he's the son of Idu. They'll leave out the Berechiah. Now, anybody know why that's why they do that? Do we do we do that? So uh Bruce, what was your dad's name? Fred. Okay. So if your son, uh, Jonathan, were here, we would say, according to the way they did it, it would be listed, Jonathan, son of Fred. Now, we wouldn't accept that because we would say, Fred's his granddad. Right? Okay? We would say, Jonathan, son of Bruce. But not with the Hebrews. They look at long distance and say that you are a descendant of long distance back. So it would be very appropriate to say Jonathan, son of Fred. Did you know what I'm saying? So that would be appropriate. We don't think that way, but that's the way they think. So a lot of times the scriptures will record Zacharias being the son of Idu, but he's actually the grandson. Okay? All right? So... And that's why sometimes, have you noticed when they say to David, when they say to Jesus, son of David? Well, yeah, technically in a sense he is, but it's like a great, 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 great grandson. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's just how the Hebrew scriptures go. So he was of priestly descent, so he's from a priestly family. May have been a priest himself, okay? Now, he was part of a group of priests who returned to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel. So he was part of a group of priests. So when they left Babylon, remember, and Zerubbabel is the governor and he's taking back the people. He's also a son of David, so he is a descendant of David. Zerubbabel brings back a group of priests and 
And Zechariah is among these folks, okay? He's among these folks. In fact, he's mentioned in three different scriptures. So he's mentioned in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. Zechariah is mentioned as being a part of this group. Ezra chapter 6, verse 14. And Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 16. Okay? So he's a part of this group. He was called to be a prophet in order to assist Haggai as the people were called to finish the temple. So remember Haggai? We talked about him the last time. Haggai was a prophet as well, one of the minor prophets. And his purpose, remember, was to call the people to get get their act together and start what? Rebuilding the temple. Well, Zechariah, it appears, from what we're going to see here, he was called to assist Haggai. So he was called to be a support in his ministry, his prophetic ministry, okay? So he was called to support Haggai. So it's around the same time period, all right? So the same time period that Haggai is ministering in Jerusalem, Zechariah is ministering in Jerusalem, okay? Isn't that interesting? So we got two guys, same time period, same city, almost, well, not exactly the same message, because I told you it's an unusual book. We'll talk about that here in a moment, okay? So his ministry began two months after Haggai began his ministry. So after Haggai began his ministry, we know that Zechariah began his ministry. Now, why do we know that? Because the text tells us. Remember, each one of the visions that Haggai had that he shared, it told you what day and what time and year it was in, okay? Same thing here, we know when because of the text is telling is going to tell us exactly what uh, we're talking about. So let's talk about the date. What is the date of this prophecy? So when was it exactly that these prophecies were given? So the prophecies in chapters 1 to 8 were spoken in the years 520 to 518 B.C. Okay, so that's when we know that chapters 1 to 8, because it'll tell you, okay, This is when these prophecies are. Now, chapters 9 to 11 have no date. So we're not sure if they were written at the same time period, although most scholars, most conservative scholars would say they are. Although there are some other scholars who might say they're from a later period and wasn't even Zechariah. I would not agree with that. These are the prophecies of Zechariah. They fit with him just because it doesn't have a date doesn't mean it's it's not from him. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, by the way, when you write a note, do you guys write notes sometimes and leave it for your spouse? Hey, I'm going to go do this. Do you put down the date and the time on them? No, you just write a note, right? Yeah, you just write a note. You, you and, and But there are some things when, when you write out, if you're not typing a letter anymore, but let's say you wrote out a letter, you would put the date on it, right? And, and mail it off. Now, there you want to identify when you're writing it, right? Now, let's say two years from now, you, you go on to be with the Lord and we're cleaning up your house and we find your notes. Some of them will be letters with dates on them, right? Right? Some of them will be your notes, like you left for so-and-so. Take care of the garbage. 
and it never got thrown away. You know what I'm saying? It's just in a drawer or something. Now, we know it's you because of the style of writing. And we can look and say, oh, that's his handwriting. That's his chicken scratch. Do you know what I'm saying? Or her chicken scratch. So with, with, with these chapters, we know it's very, very much typical of what we see in the other eight chapters. So it's from Zechariah or from written by someone from the words of Zechariah. Do you understand? So, so we don't know the dates of those chapters, but it's very obviously from the prophet. So let's talk. Now, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. We're going to talk about this unusual book, okay? Because it is an unusual book compared to the other 12 prophets. Okay, so let's talk. We've looked at 10 of them so far, okay? Tell me about what were your thoughts, this isn't a test, about the other 10 prophets. What were they like? So anybody remember, what was Jonah like? What was the book of Jonah like? Yeah, like a narrative. It was a story, just kind of a historical record of him going to Nineveh and it didn't go all the way he thought it would, right? But God was teaching a lesson through that. How about Habakkuk? Remember Habakkuk? Habakkuk is spending his time complaining to God. Remember, he was complaining to God about uh, why are you doing this? Why, you know what I'm saying? He's bringing the complaints of the people. That was a different kind of book too, right? Then there's Obadiah. Obadiah is bringing a prophecy about what's going to happen to Edom. Okay? Doesn't even mention Israel. Maybe one or two places, but, but pretty much is talking about the destruction of Edom. Nahum is the same way, the destruction of Nineveh. Okay? So you're looking at all these books, and they're very, very different. Some of them are direct conversations that God has with them and so forth. We're going to see that Zechariah is a little bit different. Well, a lot different. So let, let's talk about that. So the book of Zechariah is the longest of the 12 prophets and the most difficult to interpret. So of the 12 prophets, it's 11 chapters. That's the longest book of the minor prophets. Okay? But it's also the most difficult to interpret. Why would it be difficult? Is, are historical narratives, like stories, are they difficult to interpret? Like Jonah, was that difficult to interpret? No, not at all. Why would, why would this guy be difficult? What, what do you think is going on here? Well, hold that thought, I'll tell you. So, the book of Zechariah is the most messianic and the most eschatological of the Old Testament books. Now, does everybody understand what it's eschatology is. Anybody know what? That's a big theology word, George. What does that mean? Anybody know what that means? The study of end times. Okay, so this book is the most difficult to interpret because it's mostly messianic prophecy and prophecies concerning what? Yeah, the end of time. So that kind of reminds you, like, okay, let's stop for a moment. Is Revelation easy to understand? Okay, Bruce laughs. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Is it a difficult book to interpret? Why? Because of the nature of what it's about, right? 
Now do you understand why Zechariah is difficult to understand, right? Because it's talking about messianic things, some things we understand, and we're going to see why here in a moment we'll understand what's going on. But for them at the time when he's writing, it's definitely going to be difficult for them to understand, okay? But when it's talking about eschatological things of the end times, that's definitely going to be difficult to understand, okay? So, so this is the most messianic and most eschatological book of the Old Testament. He differs from the other prophets in that he emphasizes visions as a means of divine communication. So this prophet is going to differ from the other prophets, because the other prophets will talk about a vision, but they don't put the emphasis, they just say what it is. He's going to put a great emphasis in his book that these this is how God is communicating. Well, because... To be honest with you, in these 11 chapters, they're mostly visions that he was given, okay? Unusual visions, okay? Some of them have great significance. And so he differs from the other prophets in this. Now, in his book, the Messiah is presented as the branch. There's other prophets that do that as well. I think Isaiah talks about him being as a branch, or sprout of David. You know what a sprout is, right? I'm not a gardener. What's a sprout? What's that? New growth, okay. All right, yeah. Brand new growth, that's a sprout, okay. So that's how the Messiah is represented here, presented here. Now, here's the interesting thing. So remember I told you, most of his prophecies are messianic, which at the time... They wouldn't understand, but we do. And then there are prophecies that are eschatological about end times. Now, here it is. The Messiah comes as a king who is lowly in spirit, providing salvation for the people. Does that sound familiar? No, that's new to me, George. Who's that sound like? Lowly in spirit. Jesus. Now, how do we know that? Well, because we know from the New Testament, the Gospels, this is how Jesus came. Now, think about it. If you're in 520 B.C., 500 years before Jesus, and your concept of a Messiah is a guy riding in on a white horse, conquering the enemies of Israel, and reestablishing the kingdom of David forever... Does that sound like he's going to be lowly in spirit? Huh? No, not at all. What kind of, you expect a guy confident, you know, showing up, ruling, taking care, right? So, but here, the prophet is saying he's going to be lowly in spirit, providing salvation for the people. Now, we understand the concept of salvation for the people. What is that? What do you think, when we look at salvation for the people, what do we think that means? Well, eternal life, we know what that means, right? Now think of them, 520, when they're thinking of salvation, is it eternal life that they're thinking about? Save them from oppression, save them from the enemies, you know? They're not thinking about eternal life, okay? So again, just in his time, Think about how his message is coming across, okay? Because here's the other thing. 
He points out that the Messiah is rejected as a servant, sold for a price, and pierced for the sheep. Okay, let's take one of the, each one of those, okay? Rejected as a servant. That described Jesus? Was he accepted or rejected by the Jews? Oh, what's that? Shepherd, yes, as a shepherd. Yeah, that's right, Bruce. I'm, I need my glasses cleaned. Okay. Shepherd, yes, okay. He was rejected, right? Sold for a price. Was that true? Yeah, 30 pieces of silver, right? That's betrayal, right? Sold for a price. Pierced for the sheep. Yeah, through the side, right? Remember? He was pierced for us. Now, again, let's stop. All right, we know that. Why? Because we're in 2023, 2,000 years after the events of the cross and the resurrection. We understand the story. We understand what Jesus did and who he is. All right, now, but transfer yourself 500 years before that to Zechariah, where again, you've got a concept of a Messiah who's going to show up with a big sword on a white horse and conquer everybody and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And you're reading this? Does that make sense to you? No, not at all. Do you understand? So do you understand now when Jesus comes as a lowly servant, why they didn't truly grasp who he is? Even his disciples, to a point, didn't grasp who he is. Remember when, when Jesus was saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me? And Peter says, whoa, wait, wait, that's enough, you know. And then he's like, get thee behind me, Satan. What's going on with Peter? That's not entering into his mindset. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is not in his mind the Messiah. Although we know it is, right? So this prophecy is going to present this for us, that the Messiah is rejected as shepherd, sold for a price, and pierced. The other thing we're going to see here is this. The Messiah redeems the remnant and the sovereign rule of Jehovah is restored. Now, who's the remnant? Well, first of all, do you think this has taken place? Let me ask you this. Bruce says no. Anybody else agree with Bruce? Do you think this statement of what he's going to bring and present in the book, do you think it has taken place? Okay, so who's the remnant? What? Yeah, the rest of Israel, the Jews. Okay? The rest of Israel, the Jews, and has the sovereign rule of Jehovah been restored? No, no. They'll just turn on the news, right? You know what I'm saying? It, that doesn't exist. It's not going to exist. By the way, can I tell you, it's not going to exist until who comes back. 
Jesus. Okay, let's get that in our minds here. You're, you're not going, nobody's going to, as much people talk about we're going to bring in a Christian, whatever. That is not going to happen until who comes back, folks? Jesus. Okay, let's just grasp that, okay? So when you look at this and he's presenting this, he's presenting something that even for us, for us, is future, right? Okay, so, so then... The particulars of that. Now, when we talk about him being pierced, when we talk about him being rejected, when we talk about his his uh, being sold for a price, we know how to. We know exactly what that means, right? We know the specifics of that. We can interpret that, right? We just did. But if we get to the concepts of him redeeming the remnant and establishing his kingdom, we know some things because of other books of the Bible, right? But do we have a complete picture of exactly what that's going to be? No. So therefore, it, it makes it a little bit difficult to interpret. Do you understand why this book would be so unusual? And for them, think about all the other books that we've looked at. Okay, Most of the books we looked at were pre-exilic. So most of the books were talking about what Israel and Judah were doing wrong, how God was going to use... Someone else, in the case of the northern kingdom, Assyria, in the case of Judah, Babylon, to come in and, what? Punish them, and the punishment would be brutal. And he talked about them being taken away into exile. And so th that, you can interpret that okay. You can interpret that, that. That's not difficult to understand. Man, serious things are coming. However... When you get to this book, he's not talking about those things. He's talking about the Messiah, which, by the way, they were looking for, but, man, his concept of Messiah is way different than what I'm hearing down at the corner street. You know what I'm saying? His concept of Messiah is kind of like Isaiah was talking about, but I don't know if I agree with that. You know what I'm saying? And then he's going to... I just It's weird. I can't... Do you understand how unusual the book is? It's an unusual book. So that's what we see here with Zechariah, okay? And so what? So basically, I'll be honest with you, when you, okay, so we started this study in prophets, the prophecy, these 12 prophecies. When we entered into it, and I, I'm going to talk about myself, like when I'm entering into it, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to study 12 prophecies about the future, but up to this point, have they been about the future? Have the other 10 books been about the future? Maybe a little bit, but mostly no, right? Now we're going to get into a book where it is about the future. Did you understand what I'm saying? It is about the future. It is about the Messiah. We're going to learn some things that we already know, but we're going to learn some things about what he's saying is coming. And... And it's going to be through these visions. And so we're going to spend maybe three weeks here, okay? Like if we do three chapters, three or four chapters a week, depending on how it goes, we're going to spend a little bit of time wrestling through Zechariah, okay? Wrestling through Zechariah.